This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. This is JG Hertz for General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number one hundred thirty-seven. Teeth pulling by appointment. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Daniel Prue. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including a new home at the Smithsonian for the original Enterprise shooting model, starships landing in Japan, changes to StarTrek.com's discussion boards, and a Star Trek strategy game headed for your mobile device. Then in the feature, we're joined by Drew Stewart and Mario Kieran to discuss the original series episode "Specter of the Gun." So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Daniel. It's great to have you back on the Ready Room with me. It's just been a couple of weeks since you were here on the show, but we had fun last time. But today we get to, you know, travel to the wild, wild west. Yeah, you know, it's a different environment. It's something uh, I'm totally not prepared for, but I think <laughs> I think uh, I think we'll be, we'll do okay. You're not going to just quote lines from a fistful of datas today, are you? Well, I mean, I could try to do my troy western voice i I don't think i'm gonna try i don't think there's there's really no reason to ever ever do that well daniel let's just jump right on into news and speaking of a fistful of datas it is from the sixth season of the next generation and we have a quick thing here now we talked about the tng season six blu-rays and chain of command last week so we're not going to really go into them today we did want to let everyone know that the release date has been postponed It was going to drop on June 3rd, and now these two Blu-rays, the standalone Chain of Command and the Season 6 set, are going to drop on June 24th. And there's no explanation given that I've seen so far as to why they're delayed. My guess would be probably something to do with getting the extras finished up, but uh, that's just pure speculation on my part. So we'll look forward to those, and then we can hear Marina Sirtis do her Troy (laughs) Wild West, old Western accent voice. In high definition. In high definition and (laughs) 7.1 surround sound. (laughs) Oh boy, yeah. Counselor Troy's 7.1 surround sound, old West action. Yeah, 7.1 surround sound, Alexander. That's exactly what I'm looking forward to about season six. (laughs) All right, well, let's go on to our first real big story today. And this is some great news today. We're, we're doing a TOS episode here on the Ready Room. And the original 11-foot Enterprise model, which has been in the Smithsonian since 1974 when Paramount donated it to the museum, is going to get a new home, a much more prominent placement, because for the last 15 years, it's been on a lower level as the centerpiece of a gift shop. But... Daniel, there is news from the museum now that it is going to once again take what I consider to be its rightful place in the main entrance. 
You know, Chris, I'm glad that you've had me on for this show because uh, I don't know how how aware of it you are, but I have just moved into the Washington metro area. Oh, that's in right. The past six six months. So, and when I first moved down here, I did get to make it to the to the Air and Space Museum. Unfortunately, we were there about an hour before it closed, so I didn't get to go through the whole museum, and I didn't actually get to see the Enterprise. Um, so I'm very excited that it, it will find a new home right in the main hall. And I will, I will make sure when, when it gets there that I, that I go and visit and take lots of pictures and, and, uh, you know, send them out because this is really, really exciting. This is kind of, I, 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 like you, I agree. This is kind of where it belongs. Definitely. It's, it's a shame that they would put it, you know, as the centerpiece of a gift shop. I think I, I mean, you can look at it and think like, well, when people go to a museum, they always go to the gift shop. And so everyone, unless they get there an hour before it closes, Daniel, (laughs) (laughs) would eventually see it. But, you know, it's such a it's it's something that I think really needs to be a more prominent display. And so what they're going to be doing is the museum has received a 30 million dollar donation from Boeing to find the transformation of the Milestones of Flight Hall. This is a popular exhibit that they have there, but they're going to be refurbishing it, and it's going to be there in the main entrance. And they are doing it in honor of the 40th anniversary of the Air and Space Museum, which is coming up in 2016, which coincidentally is a big year for Star Trek as well. It's the big 5-0 for our beloved franchise. So it's great that those two things are going to be coming together. Uh, what they're going to be doing is they're going to be bringing a number of prominent ships and craft from Earth's history. They're going to have John Glenn's Friendship 7 spacecraft, Charles Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis, and Telstar, the first communication satellite in space, as centerpieces of this, along with the Enterprise, which you know will take us through to that future vision of mankind as well. And, it, you know, I just love this. I love the fact that Star Trek, you know, in any of its incarnations is used to represent the future. I just, I think that it's a, just a wonderful thing and a beautiful thing. And I, you know, it, it makes all of this, everything we do to me, it makes it seem worth it because it's like, this is where we want to be. We want to be, you know, on the original enterprise in, in a, in 150 years or whatever. And, and it's really super awesome that the Smithsonian is putting it there. And, and listen, anybody that gets, once this exit, uh, the exhibit is put up, go. If you're in the Washington area, it's free. Just go, go. You can actually see this piece of Star Trek history. Just go and see it. Oh, definitely. I wish I could get there. I'm unfortunately too far away. It's amazing. I've never been to Washington. I don't know why it's like when, when I, I grew up in the States, I've been to all these other capitals of countries around the world. I've never been to the capital of the United States. Shame on me, right? <laughs> it's okay. I mean, we didn't really have the Enterprise displayed prominently until this, so I can understand. Maybe you were upset that they put it in the gift shop, and, uh, you know, that's probably why. I understand, Chris. Well, I was going to go there, and I was going to try to buy it. You know, I'll take that right up there. <laughs> that's not for sale. How much? <laughs> How much for that? I have uh, 15 bars of gold-pressed Latin. <laughs> where, where would that get me? How much is that starship in the window? <laughs> While we're on the topic, Daniel, you're known, of course, as the... We talked about this. I guess it was on Warp 5, actually, right? A couple of weeks ago, we did that. I mentioned that you're known around the network as the Nacelle guy. Now, this is the original shooting model for the original series. 
how do you feel about the nacelles on the original TOS model, original enterprise model? So, okay. So, I mean, they're, they are the primary nacelles, right? These are the nacelles that birthed all other nacelles. This is what, <laughs> you know, this is very exciting to me. It's, um, the, the original series enterprise, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of Star Trek fans really like the A better than yeah, the original. With the movie refit. I, yeah. I like that shit the, too. Or the, right. Yeah. Right. Um, I kind of, I give the, I like the rounded nacelles better. I, you know, maybe I like perfect, perfect, you know, rounded symmetry, uh, you know, a little more, more, uh, credence, but I, I, I'm excited to see it. I really think 11 foot model that just blows my mind. I've literally never seen an enterprise that big up close and personal. And, um, I, I know I'm the TNG guy, right? Like we, we do, I do Earl Grey with, with my co-hosts, but how can, how can someone like me not appreciate what the original enterprise did for not just Star Trek, but the whole world really, you know, and this is why I think that they're putting it in the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. This is, this is a, an incredible honor. There's no, you know, it's not like they do this for everything. This is just, this is the enterprise. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The Jupiter lander is not in there from lost in space, right? Right in the middle right. of the exhibit. <laughs> So, you know, I was talking to Doug Drexler on Continuing Mission a few weeks ago, and he did the visuals for Star Trek Continues. And he talked about this particular model and about how do you get the feel of the original series right when you're doing the CGI. And he pointed out that it's to remember that the original model was 11 feet long. It wasn't the the length of what the ship was supposed to be if it were in real life, you know, you, so you can't build your CGI model to that length. You've got to build it to be an 11 foot model like the original. And that's the key to pulling off the effects. It was, it was very, very interesting. So the, uh, about the model, the museum said that this 3.4 meter, 11 foot model of the fictional Starship Enterprise will go on display in the reimagined Boeing Milestones of Flight Hall, Star Trek pushed the boundaries of network television with its depiction of a mixed-sex, racially integrated, multinational crew and its attention to contemporary social and political issues. It will join other significant artifacts in this gallery to showcase the importance of popular culture's influence on society. And uh, I think that's great. I think it's great that Star Trek is still being recognized for that. There are over 7 million people who visit this museum every year, and having the Enterprise there is going to work alongside the Abramsverse films, of course, to continue to elevate, I think, the presence of Star Trek in the popular culture today, even though we don't have new Star Trek on television. Yeah, I imagine little, you know, little children who are, who are wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, they're going to go visit the, uh, the Air and Space Museum, and they're going to see this, and they're going to be like, you know, I I was just going to be awed by the the beauty of this design and and maybe someday I could go on a ship like this. Who knows? That would be nice. I mean, you you did yeah. tell me right that if we were going to go to Mars, you would be one of the people that would sign up, right? I would, especially if it was on the Enterprise. You know, <laughs> right? That would be <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah, but absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to this and go over and check it out because there's actually a video as well that's produced by the museum 
that tells you about the project and it has some artist well it has some scenes from the actual museum and i believe it also has some artist renditions of what's going to be coming up as well uh, when this is ready in 2016 in time for the 40th anniversary of the museum let's go into the next story daniel now i was really excited about this because i have been asked repeatedly on the shows by fellow hosts if i am collecting the Star Trek official Starships collection from Eagle Moss, which is available in the UK, Ireland, the US, Canada. And I've had to say over and over that sadly I'm not because I live in Japan and we just can't get any of this stuff here. Well, Star Trek.com had the story up this weekend that they are expanding distribution and the Starships collection is coming to Japan. And it is being distributed here by Di Agonstini, which is a publisher that they make everything here. You go in the bookstores and you can buy uh, DVDs, like bi-weekly release DVDs. My daughter gets them for ballet. You can get uh, fact files and models. Like You can collect parts of cars and then build the car over the course of six months by getting a new part every other week. That's the kind of stuff they do. And they are going to be distributing the Starship collection here in Japan. So of course, I immediately went to the website and I pre-ordered. So so I've got my order in. It's going to it's going to be here. It's going to be available on May 20th. And uh interestingly, yesterday here was Sunday, April 13th, and it says right on the website that today it's available for pre-order from April 13th. So I'm probably one of the first people in Japan, I would bet, to pre-order the Star, <laughs> Star Trek Starships collection. What an interesting uh, you know, set of, of ships that they have here, though, right? Like, So it says here that the first is the D, uh, and then the 1701 refit, and then the NX-01? Yeah. What? Like, <laughs> it just seems kind of random, like what, what, what ships they pick. It does seem that way a little bit, right? I, I was I was thinking about that myself, and I was thinking that it makes sense that the 1701D would be the first ship because I feel like for most people these days, TNG is the Star Trek that people think of first. You think of Captain Picard, and you think of the 1701D. Now, the second ship is the 1701 refit, which we just talked about a little bit. And that makes sense, too, because that's the when people think of the movies, that's the first ship that they think of is that refit, which was also the A. But then, like you say, yeah, the NX-01 being the next one was kind of an odd choice. Like you would think maybe Voyager would be next, right? Or the Bird of Prey or the or a D7 would be next, but uh, or a Borg Cube. But no, it's the NX-01. You know, and I mean, as I don't know, is this like... Uh... Because they're currently available here, right. you know, in Europe and, and Canada and stuff. So, like, I don't know, like, is 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 it like TNG first? In, I think in, so. In I, Japan, or no, and then, and then the original series, and then Enterprise. Like, that's like totally different than it is here. You're right, just a little bit. I'm looking at the Eagle Moss website, who is the distributor for the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Ireland. Their order was 1701D. Then the 1701 movie refit, then the Klingon Bird of Prey, but number four is the NX01. So ours is just reversed. We're going to get the NX01 third, and then we're going to get the Klingon Bird of Prey, and then the fifth one is the Romulan Warbird over there in the states and in Europe. 
which is a great choice. But it's just it's really interesting because I would have put I like Enterprise, don't get me wrong, but I would have put NX01 way down on the list. Like, yeah. You know, I like you said, Voyager would probably have been what I assumed would have been the next the next popular choice or what they would have gone with next, but Yeah, you would think so just based on leadships from a series, right? Mm-hmm. So they're doing the same thing in Japan that they've done elsewhere, which is sort of a stepped pricing structure, you know, for introducing people to this. The first one in the U.S. was $4.95, and the first one here in Japan is 499 yen. So it's uh, pretty much the same, actually slightly cheaper for us. The second one here will be 1,299 yen, which is roughly about $13. In the U.S., apparently, it went up to uh, $20, 1995, right away after that first one. So we're getting a break on the second one, which might be a reflection of just the popularity of Star Trek here in Japan and the fact that they're trying to get more people into it. Uh, from the third one onward, though, we're going to be paying 2,495 yen or roughly $25, which is more expensive than the U.S., where it does settle in at 1995 for each model after that. You know, these are nice looking ships, though. So uh, I don't, uh, you know, I don't begrudge you pre-ordering them as soon as you can because they're actually pretty nice looking models. Yeah, they, they are really nice. And that's one reason I am glad that the NX-01 is the third ship, because there aren't a lot of good models of the NX-01, certainly not affordable ones. Uh, there have been some really nice artisan ones made. So this would be a great way to get your hands on those. But I'm really, really excited. I've been waiting for these ever since they came out. I've been really bummed that I haven't been able to get them because I've got a lot of desk space here around here in the studio, right around my workstation. And it's just crying out to have starships scattered everywhere. And um, by this time next year, I won't be able to put my iPad down because I'll have so many starships on my desk. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that's not a bad problem to have. It is not. It is not. And they're and they're much nicer than the old micro machines ships, which which I used to have. So mm-hmm. so uh, we're going to get some special gifts here. Light up Borg cube gift and also a Star Trek keychain of the TOS Delta Insignia for those who pre-order by July 6th. And um, like I said, I've got my order in, so I can't wait. And also I'll put a link in the show notes for those of you who are interested in going to see how it's being presented to a Japanese audience. Uh, They have a great page there on the website. It's all in Japanese, so you may not be able to read it, but you might find it interesting anyway. All right, well, let's go on to the next story, Daniel. This one, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on because it caught me, I, I was surprised when I heard it, while at the same time, I can understand the thought process behind it. And this is the fact that StarTrek.com, starting in May, is going to be closing down their discussion boards and their fan galleries. Weird, right? This is strange. That was my first reaction, yeah. Um I I you know, I don't want to get too excited or too into anything. My my immediate reaction would be what's going on in May or what's going to be announced in May. There's got to be a reason that the, you know, I guess, you know, we could assume that like they say here, you can you can go you can use any of their other official forums like Facebook or Twitter or Google or Instagram or anything. But to me, it's just like, well, okay, why though? Why would they? I can't imagine that it's too much to maintain it or something. I'm like, 
in my mind, I'm like, my mind immediately goes to, oh, they're going to announce a new something in May. But I, you know, yeah. that's what I would hope for. And it's probably not going to happen. But I wish that they were doing this in order to prepare for like a new show or something. That's. Oh, a new show. Now, yeah. a lot of people would jump on board for that. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's an interesting point you made because I hadn't really thought about that. I I felt, like you say, I don't think there would be that much overhead in maintaining them. Although when you have boards like Star StarTrek.com has and you have that many people interacting, you really do have to devote resources to moderating that and monitoring that. So that that is a resource. And they already have their Facebook page, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Pinterest, which they mention as being the places that you can now go to have your lively conversations and share your favorite photos, as they say. And so maybe like they're already pouring resources into social media and they feel, as I do sometimes, that discussion boards are kind of outdated. Like it's sort of it's sort of like the nineties. It's sort of like maybe the two thousands. And these days it feels like an antiquated way of sharing, but I don't completely feel that way because the problem with social media, like Facebook, for example, is that the interface and the timeline, it doesn't allow you to create categories and discussion threads in the way that you really want to do on a discussion board so I think that it may make it harder for people to interact with each other about Star Trek. Like it, it might make it easier for people, make it easier for Star Trek.com to interact with fans, but it, it will make it more difficult for fans to interact with other fans, I think. Right. So like how, in those spaces, how it exists is that essentially all us as fans are responding to whatever Paramount or, you know, you know Star Trek.com essentially puts out. Yeah, CBS in the case of right. TV. Yeah. yeah, We don't get to actually actively create conversations. We have to respond to them. It's more mm-hmm. of a passive role as, as opposed to an active one. Um, and you're, I mean, you are right. A hundred percent. I'm sure that's why they're doing it because they already have people who are working on their social media, you know, on their social media team. And it's like, why do we need to maintain these sites when we can just, Hey, check out our Twitter. You can at reply us or, Hey, check out our Facebook page. You can respond or like, or whatever. That's, that's just the, the nature of the beast at this point. Um, to me, like I, I just get excited because I'm like, May, May is, Maybe something's going to be announced in May, but it's, yeah. it's probably, you know, it's not, that's what's not what's going to happen, but probably not. Yeah. No, unfortunately. Yeah. So I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. Like I, I'm not active on the boards because I don't have time. You know, I'm, I'm always producing content. I'm producing shows for everyone here on Trek of Film for all of our listeners. And I really don't have time to get on boards. If I did, now I used to be very active on discussion boards back way back star trek continuum on the microsoft network in the mid 90s especially and so i so i know what it's like and i understand why people enjoy getting on discussion boards and i'm afraid that those people may miss the the level of of interaction with others who love star trek that they get there it's sort of this tug of war between you bringing people to you or you going to where the people are And so by going to social media, 
that's CBS's way of going to where the people already are and sharing with them there versus the challenge of bringing people to you. Because today, even if people are interested in Star Trek and they're interested in the fan galleries and they're interested in the discussion boards, it is sort of an extra step for people to go and create a new account on StarTrek.com and make sure that that's where they go to have their discussions. So so I think some people will love this change and I think some people will be upset by it. I'm interested yeah, to see what the fan reaction is going to be like. Yeah, I mean... Uh... You're right. It's just, it's the, it's, it's what it is. This is the nature of change, you know, and things are moving forward and, you know, you're right. Absolutely right. You know, (laughs) boards and, and these things, these are artifacts of the late nineties and the early two thousands. And generally speaking, people don't go to, to these kinds of, uh, you know, things to, to interact with other people. It's much more about social media. It's much more about connect to my Facebook or my, Twitter, whatever, whatever it is. So, I mean, I guess it it makes sense, you know, from, from CBS's perspective, it makes total sense to do this. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I, but, but there are values and boards, like I said, in the way that you're able to actually organize topics and conversations. So there's no, um, there's no perfect solution to this. So we'll see how it goes. They are actually going to be locking them on April 28th, so just in two weeks, because we're recording this on April 14th. And they will remain available for you to view until May 28th. And then at that point, they're actually going to be removing them from the website completely. So April 28th to May 28th is like a read-only state for you with the fan galleries and the discussion boards. And then they will truly disappear on May 28th. Did you hear that Internet Archive? Pay attention because you got to save all that stuff for later on. That's right. Save it all. All right. We have one last story in news today, Daniel. And this is one that you were telling me that you've done a little research into. So I'm curious to know what you think about it. A developer called Disruptor Beam is developing a game called Star Trek Timelines, which will bring strategy role-playing to mobile devices. Uh, Great news for fans. This is going to be on iOS, Android, and in web browsers. So you're not going to be locked into just iOS, which often happens, which is fine for me because I'm an an iOS guy, but I know a lot of people want to have this stuff on Android as well. And uh, it's great for it to be everywhere. What did you find out about this game, Daniel? Yeah, it is great for you. Chris, who is an iOS guy. I'm an Android guy, so uh, I missed out on a lot. Of, I missed out on uh, the Rivals, right? That's what Rivals and Rivals. Trexels probably as well. Yeah. Trexels, like we miss out on a lot of this stuff. Come on, people. It's not that hard to, you know, cross-platform this. Um, no, I just, uh, yes, yeah, so I did a little bit of research on this. And uh, it was really interesting because what I what I saw from the original uh, release was that there's going to be oh you can it was funny they said you can play as or interact with captain kirk and picard or spock and data and i'm like wait a minute how does this work so you know i went into it and what they said was temporal anomalies mirror universes and time travel have been a reoccurring themes throughout the star trek series and several of the films this will form the basis of Star Trek timelines and give us the opportunity to explore a lot of what-if scenarios. What if Spock and Jean-Luc Picard got to serve on the same ship? 
What would it be like to have members of the Mirror Universe's Terran Empire on your crew? Oh my goodness, Chris. This blew my mind. I got so excited about this. Spock and Picard, like Spock as number one. Um, I, I can't even, I, I don't even know how to say in full sentences how excited this kind of concept makes me. This is so cool. That does sound cool. It reminds me of these comics that we did on Literary Treks. And they were comics about Trelane and Q. And they were playing a chess match with each other. And what they did is they flipped Kirk and Picard. And so Picard ended up on the original Enterprise and Kirk ended up on the D. And it was funny to see how they their command style meshed with those different crews. So so it's kind of like that, it sounds like. And, and that, that could be really fun. I would love to see that because that would, I just, I'm trying to imagine Kirk on the D and I, I just, you know, I just can't see him sitting in the ready room with Livingston and I just, you know, he would want to, he would just want to get out there and Riker would be like, you're not going down to the planet. And Kirk would just, you know, double fist punch overhead Riker and it would just be, (laughs) you know, the universe would implode. I don't know what would happen. That would be crazy. Well, it does sound like an interesting game, and they say that it has an emphasis on rich graphics and a conflict mechanic where science and diplomacy are just as important as combat. That part I'm glad to hear because when Star, Star, when you think of Star Trek Online, you typically think of the starship combat because that's a big part of the game, but they did eventually introduce diplomatic missions as well, which I think are critical to any Star Trek role-playing game. Because I I don't want to speak for everyone, but I feel like a majority of Star Trek fans love Star Trek because of the diplomatic elements of it. You know, the fact it's about a future where we are more open-minded and understanding. And so diplomacy has to be a part of anything Star Trek. And I, I don't like it when I see games. You see these things sometimes for consoles. Like there was... um. What's it called? I can't remember the name of it, but they did one for PlayStation 2, which was really just a combat simulator. And they also did one, I think, before the 2009 film for for iOS as well that was really like a combat game. Yeah, you know, as anybody that follows me on Twitter knows, I'm a huge gamer, so I can can talk pretty extensively on this subject. I won't because that's not the point of this, the news here, but it's, you're right. uh, Star Trek doesn't lend itself super easily to, uh, video game adaptations like star wars does something Mm -hmm. like star wars where it's like of course you can just have a you know a a combat simulator or uh, even a third person shooter or whatever like you can't it's not all about fighting with star trek star trek is it goes deeper than that so even star trek online like there are things that does right but we've we haven't hit the sweet spot yet where star trek video games have really kind of hit that Right in the middle where it's like, you you know, combat is great, but also avoiding combat or not avoiding it, but diplomacy and all of these other options are the scientific way is just as good. So I hope maybe that this will will fill that gap. I think I'm excited about it at least because it sounds like it'll at least present present us some interesting scenarios. Definitely. And I'm definitely looking forward to it as well, because I've been looking for a new Star Trek game to play on my iPad and the the ones that we have right now are interesting, but they haven't engaged me 
sufficiently. And this one actually sounds right up my alley. So I'm looking forward to it. Now, there's no release date announced right now, so we don't know how soon it will be coming. It's not the first foray into this type of game for Disruptor Beam. They actually developed the Game of Thrones Ascent game in 2013, which is based on the HBO series, and it was an award-winning game. So I have high hopes for what we're going to get here with Star Trek. And John Radoff, who is the CEO of Disruptor Beam, explained a little bit about why he wanted to do a Star Trek game. And he said, we want to create a new generation of strategy game for tablet and mobile devices, and one that is as large and deep as the Star Trek universe itself. I grew up watching the franchise and have always felt that the best episodes were those that went beyond the coolness of the technology or vastness of space, the ones which told the story of characters making important decisions that had an impact on others, on civilizations, planets, and technologies. And uh, that also goes to the point that they say that this game will be dialogue-driven, have great storytelling and character development as key components. So uh, looking forward to this. Again, it's going to be on iOS, Android, and in web browsers, and um, hopefully we'll have more news on it soon. Well, Daniel, that's all we have in news. But before we jump over to the town of Tombstone, Arizona, for our feature today, we're going to be joined by Drew and Mariel. We'd like to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, and that's Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. Over 150,000 titles are waiting for you right now. They add hundreds of new titles every single week, and they have new releases, bestsellers. They have uh, comedy, uh, you know, history, science, also lots of Star Trek books like Prime Directive Federation and Spock's World, which are three of my favorites. They also have a lot of TNG books as well. And every week we like to recommend a book for you because as a Trek FM listener, you can get one audiobook absolutely free just for trying Audible. Now, Daniel, you're our TNG guy from Earl Grey. We were talking about some of the TNG books that they do have on Audible. What would you like to recommend today? You know, uh, this past week on Earl Grey with my co-host, I, I, we were talking about early TNG um, and in uh, Encounter Farpoint, one of the first scenes we get between uh, Troy and Riker, they obviously hint at a huge backstory that, you know, uh, and, and so there's a, there's a novel called Imzadi, which is actually written by Peter David and narrated by Jonathan Frakes, cap or commander, excuse me, William T. Riker himself. Uh, so this is huge. Like this is, this is uh, something great that you can check out on audible.com. So this kind of Imzadi, this this novel fills out their backstory and also gives a little bit, you know, in their future, like what's gonna what's gonna happen? What would Riker do? Oh, I don't want to spoil anything about the novel, but you know what, you know, in extreme circumstances, how far does this relationship go? So it's really interesting, and it's one of the great novels that you can check out on Audible. Definitely. And they also have the sequel to this book, Imzadi 2, as well on Audible. And Peter David writes great Star Trek novels. If, if you've never read any of Peter David's work, you definitely should. And a great way to do that is getting the audiobook format here. Uh, this one is narrated by Jonathan Frakes, which, you know, who else would narrate a book about his Imzadi but Jonathan <laughs> Frakes? And, you know, the, the one thing that this book is probably missing would be a commentary track with Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis talking about the book, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> they would. I'm sure they would love to do it. Because, that would be awesome. You know, they're they're great friends. Yeah. So so no commentary track, but the book itself is there waiting for you. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get, as I said, a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. And the way you do that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up and then choose Mzadi or any other book you want. And if at the end of the trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep this book. But by supporting Audible and trying out these audiobooks, you'll be helping us keep the ready room coming to you every week. So so don't miss out on it. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the ready room and the network. The date is October 26, 1881. The place is Tombstone, Arizona. No, wait, this is a Star Trek episode. No, it's both. It's the day of the gunfight at the OK Corral. It's also the third season of TOS, and today I'm gathered with an alliance of fellow creatures to discuss TOS's strip of the Wild Wild West, Spectre of the Gun, and those fellow creatures include Trek FM News editor Mariel Kieran. Hello, Mariel. Hi, how are you? Good. Good to have you back. It's been quite a long time since you've been on the show. Yeah, I've probably forgotten how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will see how it goes. Well, helping you out, of course, will be our co-host from our TOS show, Standard Orbit, the voice behind the curtain. It's Landrew. Landrew, welcome back. Joy to you, partners. <laughs> oh, we're partners today. All right. This is part of the alliance of fellow creatures that Kirk yes. spoke of. All right. Well, we're here to talk about Spectre of the Gun. For those who have not seen this episode or have not seen it in a long time, this is the third season TOS episode in which the crew are transported to the wild, wild west, to Tombstone, Arizona, to the day of the shootout at the OK Corral. But they're not. But they're not, as we'll discuss (laughs) (laughs) as we go along. And the story's pretty simple. They have to get out of town by five o'clock or they're going to be shot dead and uh, they can't get out of town because there's a force field at the city limits, which um, if I think about it, I think there are a lot of neighboring towns in America that would like to have force fields between one another, right? (laughs) It's true. The town I, I grew up in certainly would have loved to have had one with the neighboring town. 
The one thing I, I was, I know that we're not going to jump right in here, but I have to say, you know, I was thinking when Kirk and I think Spock was there, maybe someone else, uh, when they were standing at the, the sign that says Tombstone and he couldn't mm-hmm. move anywhere past the sign. I thought it would have been a really brilliant move if Kirk just picked up the sign and moved it right behind him. So now he's <laughs> no longer technically in Tombstone. That would be like the Looney Tunes solution <laughs> to, to the situation, right? Exactly. I love it. That would have been awesome. All right. Well, let's just jump into this episode. And Mariel, you chose the episode today. You've been wanting to do Spectre of the Gun for a while. So before we jump into all the different topics we're going to talk about, tell us why you love this episode. I just think it's a fascinating episode about the power of the mind. I mean, they believe it's real. That makes it real. Even though there's only, you know, fronts on on the stores and the sheriff and there's no walls. They still believe it's real for some reason. And I just, it's a good episode to show the power of the mind. Like I said, so yeah, that's it. (laughs) Well, you pointed out the, the lack of walls. I think it's also a great episode to show the power of the lack of budget. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great study in the budget. For sure. But it is a fun episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested how much of that was uh, budgetary and how much of it was story-wise. Like, it, 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 it'll be an interesting story when we get there in Cushman's yeah. books. Oh, I completely think it was, it was for the story. You think it's I mean, completely that, for the story? I completely think it was for the story, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was... Initially, we'll talk about it when we get to that section of the discussion here, but they do mention that it it was an attempt to save money because they didn't have a big budget, of course, on season three. I think it was initially a case of the budget and then a clever way of making it fit into the story. And so it all comes together. Well, Landrew, you're our standard orbit guy. So the, the first topic that we have on the outline is that this is a wagon train to the stars, literally, because Star Trek was set up. It was pitched kind of like a Western in space because at the time in the 60s, Westerns were all the all the rage. And here it literally is a wagon train to the stars because they're in the wild, wild west. Yeah, it's it's there's something to be said. Take or leave the episode, take or leave the third season. You can't, there's no way that you can miss out on Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty, and Chekhov with, like, full belts with six <laughs> shooters and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it looks great with the, with the uniform and everything. I, I think that, that more people should cosplay as, as people in Spectre of the Gun, just so they can carry around six shooters and look awesome like that. Maybe this is this episode is is the inception. It's the basis. It's it is the inspiration for Firefly, right? Oh, even better. Oh, could be. Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah, that's why sense. I like it so much. The the visual aspect of of mashing science fiction and and the western together. I also appreciate uh, that the the sheriff sign on the facade is written in the TOS font. And I think the E is curved, so so my little OCD there is satisfied. My favorite sign 
is probably teeth pulling by appointment. <laughs> the one that's just hanging in the air next yeah, to Don Holiday. Yeah. yeah. It's not the only thing. I think there's also a painting. I don't know if it's in the uh if it's in the bar or what, but there's like a there's a painting that's just also kind of suspended. I think out. that's the one in the bar. Yeah. 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 But the, the teeth pulling by appointment, I can't tell if it's outside the wall or if it's hanging on the wall inside because it wouldn't be very helpful inside you're already in there i mean i oh i guess i need an appointment sorry and then you turn around and walk out (laughs) mccoy didn't need an appointment he just walked in there and started rummaging around i know he's just (laughs) knocking stuff over (laughs) damn medievalism here I do love how that guy had just the dramatic towel. I don't know if this is like, I don't know anything about the the West or the or Western times, but I don't know if, if it's like a practice to place a uh, conveniently placed cloth over someone's face, a dramatically placed cloth. So you don't know who they are until they stand up. <laughs> but, but I do, I do love that. And he stands up and he's like, I'm the dentist. And it's like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like we would have recognized him anyway. I know. We it's don't true. Know, we don't know what these people look like. Neither did McCoy. It's not. I mean, yeah, I but they acted the, the motion. The act. That's my point. Then why did they bother to put a towel over his face? And then when he removed it, they act like it was like a big deal, like a big reveal. Like, I'm Doc Holliday. Like, oh, my goodness. But, well, whatever. Well, if you know the story of the OK Corral, then when he says, I'm Doc Holliday, then you would right. You would get that. But it, it's hard to tell. Like you said, he's the dentist, but you wouldn't know because they, they all look pretty much the same. You know, they're all dressed the same. They all have the, the mustache, the same look. Like, I'm the lawyer. I'm the baker. I'm the dentist. But <laughs> But then they all come out to shoot you. At five o'clock. <laughs> I, I also like, I think that's something that they don't do. I mean, they do now, like, at, you know, in a post Deadwood and Tombstone world. But I, I think a lot of the, the traditional Westerns, everyone's super attractive. And <laughs> and I, I kind of appreciate that the, the Earps are all, I'm not going to say ugly, but just not, you know, uh, Val Kilmer. Not attractive. It's okay to say that. <laughs> it's PC, right? They had bad teeth. I mean, this is this is a reality that they would have had in 1811 or whatever year it yeah. is. They're not the sports master, Drew. Exactly. They they can't be good at every sport for some reason, including gunfighting. <laughs> which um, I have to think if the Olympics had been revived in the 1800s, gunfighting would have been an Olympic event. Oh, yeah. Quick draw. <laughs> I got a silver medal in quick draw. How'd you get a silver medal? You, wouldn't you just have died? He hit me in the leg. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. Well, Daniel, Mariel told me that, that you love this episode as well. What is it about this episode that really connects with you? Uh, it's weird. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would. Love is a strong word, but I do. I really haven't like a. I don't know. There's something about it that draws me to it. And like the ridiculousness of like it, it in a way, and I'm, I'm sure that she likes it in a different reason than I do, but in a way it's kind of calling, calling to the forefront, like how cheesy everything is that we're, you know, that we're used to you know, accustomed to like the red backdrop and, and this fake planet. And, and I, I appreciate the fact that it's, it's, you know, okay. So we go to the Chicago planets 
and and you know we go to these other these earth planets and it's like how can you how many ways can you come up we go to you know pre-world Nazi war two planet. planet yeah no, <laughs> so it's like it's it's this is what you know tos does and it's like how many ways can you cleverly come up with contrivances to to create these circumstances and this one is one of those where it's like i buy it like i buy it from the to start to the finish because it's a it's a fun ride i really actually enjoy it a lot how do you see this episode compared to the other old west episodes in star trek so enterprise did north star and then of course tng did a fistful of datas and with you being the earl gray guy how, how do you do you see any similarities? Like, I think it's common to think that A Fistful of Datas was inspired by Spectre of the Gun and North Star was inspired by Spectre of the Gun. But really, I think neither one of them were. But do you see connections there? Maybe only thematically, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, A Fistful of Datas is silly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess this this is kind of silly too. But it, a fistful of datas has Troy trying to do a secondary accent while right. she's yeah. It's just yeah, it's what? not a bad. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she she tries to do a a, a Marina Sirtis doing Troy doing a Western accent accent, and it's really oh. not. Yeah, it's not effective. It's not oh. uh, <laughs> exactly as uh, a Western accent. Anyway. Well, you know, like a you know, <laughs> like I'm not going to do it. I'm not... <laughs> cowboy accent. Yeah, you know. Come on, Dan. Yeah. Do Dan doing a doing Troy doing a Western? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could do it. Look, it, all you come all on, Daniel. Do... I promise it will not become a sound clip that's used on all of our other shows. <laughs> I promise. All you would have to do is watch that episode and listen to Data Talk because Brent Spiner does a a pretty hilarious uh, Western yeah. accent. Uh, so you know what? I, I, it's different. It's different. I don't. I didn't care for North Star and a fistful of datas is fun, but kind of forgettable, uh, especially because Alexander's in it. Oh God. I hate Alexander. <laughs> um, but this one is, uh, you know, it's the only time uh, of those three episodes where they blend the Western elements. And I actually really enjoy it. I had a lot of fun with it. Well, let's go on to another topic here. And Mariel, this will come around to something that you were talking about in the other side of the room. The other side of the room. And it's the fact that this is a figment of your imagination and that what they they think is real is not necessarily real. And that ends up being sort of the cornerstone of the story and to the solution. And I think this episode is an interesting mix of stylistic expression, philosophical debate, and lack of money and all of those play into the idea that it's a figment of your imagination but let's talk about the the philosophical side for a minute because that's what you were mentioning as we were talking before the show um yeah i mean as i said before it's it's a great piece of postmodern literature really it exemplifies the genre because everything is symbolized by something and so you start to question the truth of reality. And I think that's what we're really seeing there. I mean, they, they go in and they just automatically assume they're in the past, assume they're on earth. I, I just did not get that because Kirk, um, he throws in the line when he's talking to the bartender about, um, you know, who do you think I am? And he's trying to explain, he says, we're not even born yet. 
Like he is just buying it hook, line and sinker. Yeah. And he's, he's not anywhere near earth. I just, I did not understand that. Um, but I just, I, I just think it's a great episode to exemplify the postmodern literature uh, genre because as I said before, I think the facades, okay, fine. There was a budget problem, but it's so minimal that, and, and yet they're taking it as real. It's a symbol, but to them, it's real. Yeah, it, it is odd that they would l- see the buildings and see that there's just a wall there. And Kirk does make the comment that may- maybe this is all they need in order to make their point and to carry out their plan. So th- there are times where, like, I get the impression that the crew, they, they understand that this isn't Earth, but they think it's real at some point. I, it's it's hard to, to say whether they think that it's completely a fabricated environment because if they did think that, it seems like it wouldn't take them so long to figure out that, uh, you know, the bullets weren't real and that it's just, if they believe it, then it's real. But they've been in these situations before, but may, maybe... Daniel, like you were saying, they've encountered, you know, the Chicago planet and the the Roman amphitheater planet and the, the parallel planet where all the adults are dead, but everything else is exactly the same as Earth. And so maybe they, they'd feel like, OK, well, I guess maybe somehow they've recreated Earth here again. Like this is a real world, a real planet it just happens to look like Earth. And uh, and so they don't really question that at first. And I just love the fact that they just they're so quick to jump to conclusions like the guy gets shot in front of them and they're like, death is the only thing that's real on this planet. And like, wait a minute. How do you know that? That could just be a total figment of your imagination as well. They're just like, that's the only thing real here. And I'm just like, uh, OK, I guess. Which you would think Chekhov would have said, no, no. The ladies are real too. <laughs> exactly. He was busy. <laughs> Landrew does the okay sign to the camera, right? <laughs> they are real girls. <laughs> My, I, I just got frustrated watching this episode again because I don't know if it's we've seen the episode or, or we, we live in like a, I'm going to use post a lot, a post matrix world where, you know, Oh, things aren't as they seem. We understand. We get it. But it just gets, it, it just gets frustrating how long it takes them to come to that conclusion. Yeah. And, and it's only in like the last five minutes they're like, Oh, if we believe the bullets won't kill us, they won't. Oh, okay. The end. And I hate how it ends with it's, it's an arena ending. It's like, Oh, you didn't kill him. You're a cool dude. <laughs> it's like, what? That was it was, but it wasn't a test. They were, being punished but because they didn't kill even though they were supposed to die means okay cool federation's awesome but it wasn't a (laughs) test like arena was a test i don't know no it makes total sense they you know they send out this probe and then uh to punish them they send them to this planet and somehow they succeed through the non-test and then the probe explodes. And then now they're all friends. I don't know. Drew, what do you understand about this plot? This makes total sense to me. <laughs> and then they go to the planet. They set course for the planet, which interestingly is the only episode of the original series where the Enterprise 
heads to a planet at the end of the story, <laughs> which instead of know, going away, kind of it. surprising to me. the The probe was interesting though. It was kind of like a, at least in the remastered, it's like a space disco ball. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's very groovy, baby. <laughs> These okay, I'm gonna bring this up now because I don't know when would be more appropriate than this. But these aliens are really, first of all, their face things are creepy and scary and interesting. Like I really like them. Um, and second of all, at the end of the episode, we're kind of led to believe that they're interested at least in joining the Federation. And if they did, I would think they would be helpful against the Borg or the Dominion or something. Like they would be really powerful allies to have. But we never ever ever hear from them again you would think because they appear to be made of stone or something like they could hide and then when the jim hadar came in they could all just fall off on top of the jim hadar <laughs> and crush them <laughs> they could yes they could spew out fog into the cave so nobody would yes. see their glowing eyes we will make it difficult for them to see you so so the, the other races in the federation they can all you know carry out the assault while these guys just make it hard for the enemy to see well in that in that one battle in Deep Space Nine, the the one where they go on that planet, it was kind of foggy on that planet. The, maybe yeah. they were the there. Siege of AR three hundred and whatever. Maybe maybe they five, were there. Five, the eight, mel- yes. melca- melcatonins were there, blowing smoke everywhere. So you're 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 blaming this race on the loss of Nog's leg. Way to go. Yes, you're saying yes. it's wow. there. All right. Well, you know, speaking of the probe slash space buoy disco ball here, <laughs> who was the voice of the space probe? Well, if it was a voice of something, so it's probably Jimmy Doohan. It was. It was James Doohan. His <laughs> pre-TAS days of doing more voices. Of doing every voice. <laughs> on the show. Yeah. So the... The probe was, it was kind of interesting though. It also reminded me, especially when we get to the end of the episode where apparently they never left the bridge. Like they were on the bridge the whole time and they didn't really go anywhere. It's a lot like the inner light also, Daniel, of course, right? Where there's kind of a space probe and it does something and then they think they're somewhere else and then they wake up on the bridge. And it also speaks, it's like telepathic, but you hear it in your native language, which yeah. is how we know once again that Uhura's native language is Swahili. I think it's the third time in the series where we we find that out. And it reminded me of the inner light there as well, but also reminded me of like an Aaron of Mercy where you have the Organians and they're able to sort of project themselves places and speak on all these different planets, which would also mean that they're being heard in the same the native languages of those planets as well. So we've got a lot of lot of different TOS themes rolled up into one here. I like the idea of the inner light being a a, a remake of Spectre of the Gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the problem I think um if we're gonna compare the inner light and and I mean even without doing that, but uh what happens at the end of the episode when they just show up on the bridge Throughout the rest of the episode, we get we get this amazing new feature in Star Trek of tele uh, transportation by Zoom. That's what they do. Oh yeah, a trans- yes. I call it transportation right. by coat sleeve, because you <laughs> zoom into the arm and back out, and you teleport. <laughs> <laughs> and like at first, like in the beginning of the episode, I'm like, okay, I can buy into it. But then at the end of the episode, Chekhov's like at his station, and he's like, 
where have I been the whole time? And it's like, <laughs> that was kind of German. I know that's not Chekhov, but, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, but it's like, um, this is like the most jarring transition between the rest of the episode and the ending of it than I've ever yeah. seen. Like they didn't even try to come up with a, like a reasonable way to do it. It's just like, Kirk's like, I guess we were here the whole time. It's like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, we just won't go to the OK Corral. Zoom. You're in the OK Corral. <laughs> See, that's <laughs> cheating. I love it. It's so ridiculous. I wanted to. I wanted to point out that the whole reason that they're in the past is because uh, they needed to be punished, and so they scanned Kirk's mind for the punishment, and and somehow Tombstone came up, which was like 400 years before. It would be like us thinking of King James the first. And then, you know, oh, now suddenly we're in King James the First. But it reminded me of Ghostbusters when when Gozer <laughs> uh, has has them choose the, the destructor. What did you and do, Ray... Jim? What did you think of, Jim? <laughs> what yes. did you do, Jim? <laughs> I tried to think. Maybe Kirk was thinking of where no man has gone before. And he was thinking of his James R. Kirk tombstone. And these aliens mistook tombstone for tombstone Arizona. And that's why they end up there. Now, if they had mistaken it for Tombstone Pizza, then they would have been like at a Chuck E. Cheese and it would have been... The animatronics would come to life more. and kill yes, them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Specter of the Rat. <laughs> in, in terms of the, the buildings, though, like the budgetary thing, I, I think that we asked at the beginning, Mario, you said you think it was completely for the story. And... Sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, I think that... I I really do, though. I mean, I know they had budget problems, but it just fits with the whole... It's not real, but they're taking it as real when you can clearly see there's no building there. It bugs me, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, the original idea for the episode was that they would actually go to a Western town and and shoot the episode there. So there would have actually been buildings... But, you know, they didn't have the budget to go do that. So they had to shoot on the sound stages. And, of course, they didn't want to build a whole Western town set on the sound stages. And so how can you do that? How can you save money? Get it on the sound stage. Let's just put up one wall of the building. And so I think from there, then creatively, you, you want to figure out a way to make this work within the story. So it's not just like, hey, we have no money. Let's just throw together whatever we can find from another TV show. You know, it's not Galactica 1980 that we're shooting here. It's Star <laughs> Trek. And so from there, I think they get into what you talk about, Mariel, where they did find a way to work it into the story where it it did make sense and it was stylistic and it did sort of create the idea. It supported the story or the story was written to support the set that that should have tipped them off that this is part of our imagination here. That's why we're not seeing everything. So they did work it into the story and, and it supports the idea. I think that episode would have worked a lot better with it being, if it was in an old West town, like one of those Having all the buildings, Western yeah. sets, I think I w- it would be more believable for them to maybe think that they had traveled back in time or that things were real. But as it stands, you know, when the lightning strikes and you can see the reflection, the shadows of the trees against the sky, 
you know, really big because it's just a backdrop. <laughs> like they made no no problem with saying this is a backdrop. The Earps are just walking in front of a, a you know a white sheet and we shine a red light on. I'm surprised. I'm I actually am. I, I to hear you say that to you 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 would prefer that it was against the an actual town. Like would that make it more believable? I don't know. To me, not at all. Like, um, I get the sense that what they're trying to portray is that these aliens are super powerful telepaths. And so it doesn't bother me that like, and and it's kind of a throwaway line when they say, oh, Kirk, Kirk doesn't know everything about Tombstone, Arizona. He doesn't know everything. So they're just, they just leave the gaps empty instead of automatically filling them. Um, although to be fair, if they're really smart, you would think that they could kind of construct walls, but whatever. Um, if you're a telepath, have you ever built a building? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, say. to me, it's just like, uh, no, it doesn't bother me at all. Like, like, uh, I think it was probably completely budgetarily influenced and that's why they did it. But I actually really appreciate it for that. I, I think that they made a really, uh, interesting and creative choice with how they portrayed these, the, the, the town and stuff. Like if we had seen a regular, uh, western town that had been used in other films or whatever then it would have been on, on you know it would have been par for the course it would have just been regular but this is something that we'd never see anytime and it's really for that reason alone i think it's at least interesting to watch i don't think it would have worked if it was in a regular town like i think that's part of the point is that it's in their mind you know at the end when they're doing the whole mind meld and, and the bullets aren't real i mean that's the point <laughs> i mean that's the title of the episode specter of the gun i mean i don't think it would have worked if everything was real yeah now the, the original title of the episode was the last gunfight and that's actually the title that james blish used in the novelizations that he did of, of all the tos episodes in that respect yeah maybe but yeah like you say mariel it is specter of the gun so in this case it does make more sense i'm sort of in between i think it depends on what they're trying to get at with the story so like like Drew's saying, if the buildings had all been real, for the crew, it would have been more believable that they had been transported somewhere and that everything was real and it was truly a life or death situation for them. But if the point of the story is that reality is what we make it, if we believe something is true or real, then it's true or real, even if it isn't, this sort of facade that they've created supports that idea a little bit better as well. Although I still think that they should have been tipped off a little bit sooner because if it weren't for Spock, I'm not sure that they would have ever figured this out. Do you, do well, you think Kirk and Bones and Chekhov, who was already dead at that point, the, and I mean, Scotty, Scotty just wanted some bourbon, half gallon yes. of bourbon. So <laughs> Anything's better than corn whiskey. So yes, okay. uh, corn whiskey is awful. I love the look on his face when they he was offered the corn whiskey. <laughs> Scotty Poor is on, Scotty is like on point this episode. I feel like he he was the you know he he was just exactly how I expected Scotty to be. And he's like, you need a volunteer for this crazy drug you're about to do. All right, I'll do it. And then he just like inhales all the smoke that's coming out of this grenade, <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, I'm 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 good for it. Yeah, I, I like that it took it took Chekhov dying, and 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 Scotty not passing out from a smoke bomb in order for them to be like, you know what? 
things are a little weird around here. <laughs> and it's just it, it's just McCoy's insistence that no, I made it totally right. This should this should work. It's like, but how do you know? I mean, uh, it's not uh, just McCoy's insistence. It's McCoy and Spock working together. This is true, yeah. and together. that that make that's the real sign that something's wrong. Is that <laughs> they sure agreed McCoy on was something. a little wasn't sure on that one. <laughs> Spock was Spock was funny in this episode. He was zinging people. Did you notice? <laughs> oh yeah, like he, he got Scotty. He's like, unlike Mister Scott's transporter, this device is not functioning. <laughs> and like sarcasm from Spock. All right, and then he really he really zings Bones later when McCoy says, "I doubt that this combination of things was ever used for any purpose quite like this." And Spock says, "Perhaps they would have been if they'd had your ingenuity, Doctor." And I just felt him like zing. Did you did you feel like that was an insult? I actually kind of thought that it was a compliment. I thought it was sarcasm. Be- I, I I say that because of Bone's reaction to it. He's like, okay, <laughs> well, all right, I say, all right, I'll allow it. it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to say I kind of took it as a compliment. I thought he too. was like kind of maybe maybe like an underhanded compliment, but I actually didn't see it as sarcastic at all. I thought he was actually giving him a genuine uh, good job. I never would have thought of this, or or most people have never thought of this. I, I thought it was Spock's sense of humor evolving a little bit and that he was kind of jabbing bones but bones didn't get it because he wasn't used to spock doing that in the first place you know vulcan humor is very subtle yeah mccoy wasn't around for the uh uh stone knives and bearskins comment in uh in <laughs> right. city on the edge it's interesting in, in enterprise as well to watch to paul's sense of humor and the way that she makes sarcastic comments and you see Archer kind of learn when she's being serious and when she's making sarcastic comments. So it seems to be a Vulcan trait. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, one more thing here talking about bullets is that I think this, this might be the origin of the famous quote without the safeties, even real bullets can kill. Because as you pointed out, Daniel, this could be the the prelude to holodeck malfunctions. Well, yeah, I mean, in a way it is. It, it does kind of have the feel of a holodeck episode where we're brought to a ridiculous place that there's not a real world explanation for why we would be there. And then something has to go wrong for there to be danger. You know, they have a whole, they have that whole conversation, which is, which is a prelude to the holidays, the holodeck safety conversation where they're like, this is crude, but if you're close enough, it could be just as dangerous as a phaser. And you're like, yeah, I would think so. I mean, I would think (laughs) bullets would be pretty, pretty dangerous. Um, So I, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. uh, Maybe they were playing around with this idea early on i don't know if it probably wasn't you know a direct descendant but at least you can see where they kind of pick pick this up and moved it forward well what do you think landrew because you know they did have this idea of of a holodeck in the original series it's something they couldn't really do and we did finally get it in the animated series but there's that kind of thought process there maybe and and i do wonder if they could have done the holodeck on the original series if we would have gotten more episodes like this and that would have been Maybe a more plausible reason for them than, hey, look, all these planets are Earth parallels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people give the holodeck malfunctions a lot of crap, but it's a great way to get 
off the ship without getting off the ship. Like if, and it would make, it would make sense for, for Kirk and Spock and everybody to know about as much about Tombstone, Arizona as they do. I mean, cause Spock's like, just like, Oh, you know, quoting all these things. And at exactly five o'clock, everybody died at the okay corral. And it's like, it's like us remembering stuff from the 1600s. It's just not something that normally happens. Okay, good. I, I misunderstood you there. I thought you said it made sense, and I was going to say, I, I don't know. They seem to know way too much about this no, old historical I'm saying, but event, if it was, but that's if it mean, was yeah. let's go to, you know, Kirk made a holodeck program, we're all playing on it, and the Malkotians think that it's reality, or, okay, yeah, or draw yeah. on it, right. and because they were studying it or preparing a play or something next generation EE about it, it would make sense. But I'm afraid of what TOS would do with a holodeck. <laughs> For example. Because, because you look at all the terrible things that, that TNG ended up doing, like, oh, or Voyager. Um, we're not going to talk about Fairhaven. We're not going to talk about the <laughs> Irish village. We're not going to talk about Leonardo da Vinci's studio. Right. It, <laughs> but those weren't even malfunctions. Well, partly some of them, but it, I, I'm I'm afraid that NTOS, you know, had season four picked up and they picked put in a holodeck. We would get a lot of well, you know, I'm going to travel. You know, we're, we're just going to visit the '60s again because why not? And you to know, we're just going to study them in in the holodeck because it's less dangerous and then it becomes dangerous. I can see them playing with that too much. I feel like it didn't stop them. Oh, like the fact that they didn't have this <laughs> convenience plot device. is not like, Oh, we just traveled back into the sixties to stop this launch. And like, they just did it anyways. This is like, there's no, well, problem. yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, but that was when they had to come up with excuses. If they didn't have to come up with excuses, they'd use it all the time. The whole series would be what's going on in the holodeck today. Also, are you saying, uh, Drew, and uh, just out of curiosity as, as the TOS guy on the network, are you saying that you don't buy the fact that Spock prides himself on his Earth history? It's stated very clearly in this I, I throw the BS flag at that. <laughs> <laughs> Where everybody can see it. Because that, that line made me roll my eyes. It's yeah. like, wait, what? Why would you? Okay, I guess he's half human. And I guess he's super smart. And I know that he knows everything about Vulcan history. But Earth history, we get the impression that Vulcan history is very singular. You know, we had Surak and then we had, you know, T'Pol and things like that. Whole everybody united. But like Earth history, we've got the old west and we've got you know colonial america and we've got you know ancient egyptians and what were the egyptians doing during the old west i mean what if they got thrown then and thrown back there and well they weren't thrown anywhere what if i don't know well they they all got carried through the stargate drew so <laughs> this is know, true they weren't, they weren't available for shootouts at the okay corral <laughs> that would have been well, crazy you know that that core curriculum on Vulcan. They everyone has to take Savagery 101 and 102, which is actually Earth history. That's how they know so much about it. <laughs> okay. The, the Old West was a bad time for people yeah. in Earth. <laughs> in Earth. For the for the 400 people who lived in the Old West, most of them died. I will say about the way this is shot though, like merging the Old West it, it is something you have to remember that 
you have to kind of make yourself remember that at the time this was shot, Westerns were really big on television. So you turn the channel and you're going to see Westerns all the time on your TV. And so how do you make, how do you take that and put it into Star Trek and make it feel different? And it is where the lighting, uh, even the wind and where I, I think that the choice to make the sets single walls instead of full buildings and all really helped to give, because a lot of these actors, they were starring in Westerns at the time. I mean, even DeForest Kelly, you know, DeForest Kelly, in fact, had uh, actually played these characters before in actual Westerns. And how how do you make it feel like, like Star Trek? And I think they pulled that off pretty well in here it feels like it feels it feels artificial it it yeah. feels like yeah this is something that aliens are creating in space somewhere don't get me it wrong is. i love the the minimal sets in the red sky artistically um i i i and and thinking of it like that like if you're using bonanza's set and you're going up against bonanza in the in the rate you know in the time slot you got to make yourself look different which makes me think like maybe the red sky was kind of uh, like how the Simpsons are yellow so that, yeah. you know, you're flipping through the channels and you, your eye is drawn to it because they're bright colors. I'm wondering if that was the same kind of thing. Like, look, it's a Western, but the sky's bright red. Whoa, what's that? And I flip back to it between the three channels that they had back then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so they went to Bonanza and they said, can we borrow your set? And they said, well... I'll tell you what, we'll give you the front wall of that building. We'll give you uh, the back wall of that building. We'll give you a sign from this one. And a bar. That's a all bar. you need. A bar and those swinging doors. You're fine. Oh, and we'll give you the sign that says Tombstone City Limits. Oh, and that's the thing. They kept using the doors. <laughs> oh, right. my God. I'm so glad we brought this up. There's, there is a scene when Chekhov walks through the doors and then when... Chekhov gets shot. Scotty, or no, Spock and Kirk run around the building and <laughs> just to yes. see what's going. What's going on? Uh, we didn't have enough time to run through the doors. We're here to see what's going on. And it's like, why would you ever use doors in this place just when you can walk freely from from building to building? All right. When when are we going to talk about the fact that Chekhov buys into this immediately? Okay. Well, let's <laughs> Pretty go lady on. involved. Of course he did. Let's talk about that then. Uh, there's a little Russian romance here. I was I was thinking like Chekhov saying romance was invented by a little old lady from Leningrad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so the studio apparently before the third season started shooting, Gene Roddenberry and executives at NBC had exchanged memos about wanting to use Chekhov more in the third season, making him a more prominent character because he was added in the second season, and of course he had the whole monkeys look to kind of you know bring in that demographic because oh, the, the, the monkeys band. were i'm sorry yeah, the, <laughs> i was thinking of the resolution monkey <laughs> resolution monkey no no tristan the would be band. so happy right now you know <laughs> the band of the monkeys you know so to bring oh, okay. in that that demographic and, and it seemed to, to help and, and work a bit but so they wanted to feature him more prominently so so what do they do with his character apparently they make him like this skirt chaser he's just like every girl that walks by he just can't keep his eyes off of her and, and like you said he buys completely into this because hey you know well there there is um there is a lady here 
you know, this pretty girl wants to make out with me. I don't care if she's real or not. I mean, there's no question. You know, McCoy's is like, it's real because this guy's dead. And and Chekhov is like, it's real because this chick wants to make out with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's they're they're all sitting at the table there and having their their corn whiskey and bourbon. And I, I know, you know. TOS has a bit of a, they have the 50 minutes to fill or the 48 minutes to fill instead of the 42 minutes. Or 52 minutes. In 50, 52 minutes. Yeah, okay. Quite, is that what it is? It's yeah, quite okay. long. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes in some episodes, maybe we get a little bit of filler. Well, there's a three minute makeout scene with Chekhov <laughs> and this woman. And You're it's, timing it? Well, I feel like it was three minutes. I'm not sure if it was, but it's, it's so long because they're all just staring at it and it goes like, this is what Kirk's reaction to Chekhov making out with this girl is. This is what Spock's reaction is. This is what <laughs> Scott's reaction is. And this is what, you know, McCoy's reaction. And it's just like, I cannot even, like, this is the most uncomfortable scene I've ever watched. I'm like, please just stop. Just, just <laughs> stop. It's embarrassing. You're an embarrassing Starfleet <laughs> officer. What's, what's weird is that Chekhov's skirt chasing was ne- is never been a cliche or a meme or anything. You know, we've got, you know, Kirk sleeping with every woman who comes across him and, uh, you know, punching people in the face. But but Chekhov was always just like, you know, I'm the Russian guy. Like, <laughs> why, why, why does the J.J. Chekhov not chase women? I want to I want to see him chase women around. He's 17. The, the hallways of the Enterprise. <laughs> He's too busy shadowing Scotty to learn how to make the engines go. He oh, doesn't have time for ladies. Poorly. <laughs> I, I want to see like, him chasing women down the hallway screaming I can do that I can do that <laughs> <laughs> wow I can do her I can do her <laughs> oh man at least that would make the Carol Marcus scene make sense right like yeah <laughs> if Chekhov was like peeking in through the window of the shuttlecraft <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see after he's running down the hall yelling that, and Spock looks over at Kirk and says, "No, he can't." <laughs> it would be the in JJ's. It would be Spock who would deliver that line. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's che- Chekhov is, and the only thing. So they've already established, right, that the guns are dangerous, the bullets are dangerous. If you get shot in here you're going to die. And still the only thing Chekhov cares about is this girl. And he's going to take on, he's going to take on Erp here. And he's worried about taking her to a dance next week. And stuff. <laughs> right. like, you just met her Chekhov. like an hour ago. You're going to die in two hours. <laughs> right. You met her an hour ago. You're going to die in two hours, but make sure you've got those plans squared away for the dance next week. Chekhov. <laughs> You can't marry me. You don't know who I really am. And it's like, what? 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 Why are you talking about being married to someone? <laughs> and he's trying to he's trying to impress her like, oh, those guys in their outdated weapons. They can't hurt me. Many people have tried to kill me before. Many people. You don't know how many times people have tried to kill me, but I'm still here to make out with you. <laughs> and Drew brought up the Matrix. And Chekhov literally mentions stepping out of the way of a bullet. So (laughs) he's Neo. Yeah. 
So the Matrix is also a remake of Spectre of the Gun. Yes, it is. And in fact, if the if if Kirk and Spock and all of them hadn't resolved the issue soon enough, Chekhov would have stood up, pushed the bullets out of his body, and then been able to kill all the other people by stopping their bullets and just winning. <laughs> because he's the one. I am the one. <laughs> The Wessel of the Gods. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Chekhov dies for part of the episode anyway, because he's shot. And that was sort of the thing that tipped them off that something was different here. That plus the fact that their snake venom and shrub bomb did not knock Scotty out. And this comes down to the, the idea that they were so convinced earlier, we talked about them making assumptions that you can't change history. Like we've been sent back into the past. This is history. It has to play out as it did. We have to die at five o'clock. And then Spock points out that, well, you know, Billy, he didn't die in the original gunfight. He survived. Chekhov's dead now. So maybe we, we can change history it's almost like the crew for a lot of this episode they don't seem to realize that they have not really traveled to the past yeah and that's a big problem in that why would they have sent you into the i mean i guess there are aliens in in other science fiction tv shows that uh, do send you into the past to kill you um uh they're weeping angels from Doctor Who. But, I mean, they, they're not sending you in the past to kill you specifically in a specific way in the past. But, uh, yeah, them thinking, I don't know if they think they're in the past or they're reliving the past. Maybe they're just reliving the past. And they've, they've, they've been through this before with, with some other alien. It's like, oh, we got to relive the past and, uh, you know, else we'd be doomed to repeat it but we have to repeat it and uh, yeah i just don't understand why it takes Chekhov dying for them to be like maybe things aren't like what we thought here like couldn't you figure that out some other way and it takes him dying and the smoke bomb not working to convince them it's like one or the other guys you but Chekhov dying is I mean, thankfully, they do have a really good scene. I really like the scene after Chekhov dies and everybody's sitting around in the bar and and reminiscing and stuff. I do like that. I think that's one of the highlights of the episode. But just the whole concept of, well, we're in the past and we're going to die at five o'clock. So, yep, might as well. You know, I just it's it's amazing. We've been talking and I think, you know, you guys have seen it in a different light than I have. It's like I don't have a problem with the fact that I don't think they think they're in the past. I just think that they think that the scenario they're in is based on the past. So I, I, it's not, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't blow my mind that like they think that they can't change it because they think that the aliens, the all powerful aliens that have brought them to this scenario uh, have, have laid out events in a way that they cannot alter them. So I, you know, I don't think that it's, and I, for some reason, Chekhov dying to me is not, doesn't make sense like why that would be an eye opener because why couldn't Chekhov die? Chekhov could totally die. Uh but because you, he's the, Billy. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But, uh, you know, and, but it's, so it makes sense to me that they're not sure after Chekhov dies. Like it's, they're still a little uncertain exactly what the rules are in this universe. But once chemistry and physics doesn't work the way it should, like Spock says, um, and then they understand why the rules are different than they should be. That makes sense to me as a reason for them to say, oh, okay. So even though we are, we knew we were in this fictional universe, we knew that we were, were, were doing things according to different rules than we're used to. We knew that was happening, but now we understand some of them. At least we now we understand that the regular rules don't apply because we would think that they would. So that's, that's not a big hang up for me. Like I have no problem. Like I, they see the fact that there's only one wall in the building that they're in that I don't think that's the issue. The issue is like they don't know what the rules are in the world that they are in in this episode. The I wrote down the lines that bothered me. If this is a replay of history, then history cannot be changed. I th- I think is 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 my sticking point there where they're like, well, oh, this is the way it happened 400 years ago, so it's going to have to happen like that now. And they just basically give up right there, right at the beginning. <laughs> and you would think they would know from the city on the edge of forever that history can be changed. I mean, they had to go to great lengths not to change history. Or yeah. do you think they're saying, like, it can't be changed because we can't screw with history? But but I don't think that's what they're saying here. I think that they feel like they're locked into, like you said, Daniel, the aliens have laid things out that they're going to follow this course and they can't do anything to change it. Yeah, because do they? I, I and I do. I remember that line as well from the episode. But do they say that like? What part of the episode do they say then? Do they say it right after? at the beginning? Yeah, yeah you're right. No, you're right. right you're right, right yeah, up front. Yeah, it, that did bother me too. But like then Kirk tries to go and talk to the sheriff, the crazy sheriff, and they have like an they like have an overact competition. Like they're just screaming <laughs> oh, in each other's faces. It's and, so beautiful. It's amazing. That's I like the that other scene. highlight of the episode is them yeah. trying to out someone trying to out Ham Shatner and losing. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, him and the bartender also, where he's like, like, who do you think I am? Feel my who do you think you Feel are? My clothes. <laughs> you <know>? Feel my clothes. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Feel my there. shirt. That's a that. weird request, sir. <laughs> right. Come on, feel it. Feel my shirt. <laughs> but the bartender doesn't bat an eye. He's just like, yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> Now feel your shirt. <laughs> now feel her shirt. <laughs> so, Mariel, any thoughts on changing history? Uh, you know, I'm kind of with Daniel in that I'm not totally surprised. But to me, I feel like there... I mean, McCoy could have made the bomb thing you know, wrong. So I think I understand that there might have been some doubt with that. Um, you know, not every experiment works, not every, you know, whatever. Anyways, but when they point out that Chekhov dies and his character or whatever you want to call it didn't, like that just is, yes, it's definitely we can change things. So I'm a little bit opposite on Daniel with that. Now, you said McCoy could have made it wrong, right? Because I thought I heard you say bong. Because Scotty, <laughs> man, he was he he was sniffing that for so long. And then at the end, when they ask him, how do you feel? He's like, I feel great. <laughs> this is, I love this that snake That was the other thing. Smoke. I mean, that guy drinks 
have you seen him drink? I mean, God knows if that thing would have affected him anyway. I mean, and that's the <laughs> other just, part. So the smoke was like, going uh, everywhere. They all should have passed out. That was my other thought. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, here's a chemical nerve Spock. Mm. He's like, here's a chemical nerve agent. I'm going to open it while I'm standing here, <laughs> place it on the counter, and then back away slowly like well, it wouldn't affect me. That's justifiable. And I was thinking this when I was watching the episode two. I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, should should he be that close to it? And I was like, well, it probably doesn't affect Vulcans. Oh, I mean, okay. How yeah, many maybe. episodes is it that everyone's affected by something except for Spock because he's Vulcan? But just like in the Chekhov scene where I feel like they stretched out Chekhov making out this woman, there's like a 30-second scene of, of Scotty just inhaling all the smoke. Just and I'm just smoke like, coming, <laughs> billowing out all around him. And it's like you can't even see his face and you can just... He's just like really enjoying well, his... <laughs> I thought that was kind of effective because it had been a long time since I had seen this episode before I watched it to prepare for the show today. And of course, I've seen it many times, but it was a long time ago. And so I didn't remember if that affected Scotty or not. And I was thinking, like, if, if this is your plan, you guys realize you're going into a shootout, right? You know, you don't have, because they already say it takes like three to four seconds for it to take effect. And then I'm thinking, like, if this if this works, we're, we're talking more like 10, 15 seconds. I I really don't think, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Trick them into opening it, have them stare at it for a while before they say draw? <laughs> well, like my dad I, I like and I were scene. discussing the other day, like if people have guns pointed at you and like smoke goes off or the lights go out, they don't immediately shoot. They, they, they react so that you can, you know, jump kick them in the face. <laughs> that happened right. on Agents of Shield, and that's what Dad was just like. Why did they not shoot when the lights went off? And I'm like, because they wanted needed to get punched in the face. I don't know. <laughs> just go with it. You talk about stretching these things out, though, Daniel. In this scene with Scotty, it's also like in the Galileo Seven where he's got the panel off the wall and he's got the wrench in there and he's jiggling the wrench. That goes on forever. It's another one of those Scotty moments of stretching out the episode. And you're, you're at a point where you're like, all right, Scotty, I, I think that's not, it's good. It's good now. You can stop. James Doohan must have been really good at improv. So they were always just like, we want to stretch out something, do something crazy for 30 seconds and we'll just keep the camera rolling. The thing was in the scene, like you can't even tell it's James Doohan. There's so much smoke <laughs> so in front of his smoke. face. I was like, I, I was expecting like him to, ch- you know, like in like a classic TOS way to like his face to become disfigured or maybe for him to change into one of the aliens or something. And it's just like, <laughs> nope, he's just inhaling all that smoke. He's just having a great old time. <laughs> I breathe as deeply as I can, Captain. Like, <laughs> it's like, whatever. Before we wrap up here, which we'll be wrapping up soon as we're approaching an hour, one thing I did want to mention and, and get your thoughts on was similarities to later Star Trek episodes and this because in TNG we have where no one has gone before, where the the crew is imagining things as well. I guess Nagilum, right? Daniel's making them have these sort of visions of what's going on. And then on DS9 in If Wishes Were Horses, we also get this thing again where what's going on isn't real. Like it's our imagination that's making us believe that this is true. And if, if we believe it's true, then it's real. And as long as we know it's not real then we're okay and that's what we get at the end of this episode where they can just stand there while the bullets fly through them 
And although we don't get the great moment in here where you go to yellow alert and Kira says, yellow alert against our own imaginations, (laughs) (laughs) which was a great moment. But yeah, there there are those similarities to, to what comes later on in Star Trek as well. So let's uh, wrap up the discussion here and kind of pull all the pieces of this episode together with our final thoughts and our rating. Landry, what are your final thoughts and your rating for this episode? Spectre of the Gun. It's not, it's not the worst season three episode. And I wouldn't even say it's a bad episode. It just, it has a good story. It just takes a while in getting there. There's, pointless make-out scenes there's pointless smoke-filled <laughs> scenes um don't forget the, the clock zoom i love the clock zoom the clock zoom <laughs> yes the <laughs> clock hanging the clock that's hanging at the end of town because they're at the edge of town at five o'clock they look up there's a clock hanging in space and then they they just zoom to the okay corral but i i think that the episode does make the care our our heroes look stupid uh for too long the you know they they don't know what's going on which i guess is most episodes of any star trek series they don't understand what's going on until the very end and then it's like oh that was easy but uh the idea of reality not being real is really cool but i i think that that it could have come through in a better story. Um, but overall, I'd say I'd give it a six out of eight weird rock alien head people. <laughs> Very good. Mariel, how about you? You know, I, I suggested this episode because I really, really like it. Um, as much as it bothers me, I really don't think that the characters look stupid. I think it works. I, I like it for that. I I think the whole, as you said, you know, the reality not being real, I think that's really cool. And I think the fact that they don't clue into it is what helps make that real for the viewer. Kind of an odd thing to say, I guess, making it real for the viewer when we're talking about reality. Anyways. um, Or are we? (laughs) Um, but I would give it nine out of ten shots of corn whiskey. Excellent. How about you, Daniel? I also really enjoyed this episode. I don't know, um, you know, I don't get to visit TOS as as often as the other shows. It seems like. And sorry, Drew. Um, Was that a hint? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it's just like every time I go back to it. It's really amazing. I, I always feel like there's a strength of character, you know, through through the main cast in TOS. Like, I, like I watched this so, show and I'm like, you know what? This may be not the most well-received episode of all time, but all of the characters are right on point. Like, you know, Scotty is Scotty because he likes to drink, I guess. But, you know, Spock <laughs> is Spock because he's smart. He figures it out. And Kirk is Kirk because the, the enemy is like, this is your only warning. And, and Kirk's like, don't don't shoot us and then he's just like well forget about it we'll just we'll just go in anyways because he's you know he just he doesn't care and you know i like i like the stylistic choices that were made whether they were budgetary or not but i i like that it was it's an interesting way of looking at uh thought and 
this telepathic race that we never get to hear of again, unfortunately, but it's to me, it's a really visually striking episode of the original series. I, and I had a good time watching it and every time I watch it, I enjoy it. So I'm going to give it seven flapping toupees, uh, <laughs> you know, out of 12 or whatever. So, because when Kirk's <laughs> in that fight scene at the end and they have the, the wind going full blast, it's just like, right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I love that it ends with him running up and doing the flying kick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because for all the bar fight scenes that we have in the original series, here's an episode where there's an actual bar in the Old West, and we don't have the full-on like, Trouble with Tribbles bar fight scene that we would expect that we would get in the Western oh, man, episode. that would... When they figured out if they figured out earlier that they could change history, it's like let's just have a brawl. <laughs> it's not real. They they treat it like a holodeck and just throw things around. You know, my wife will not watch the original series, and her impression of the original series, the thing that she remembers most about it when she thinks of TOS, is that it has these bar fight scenes throughout. The series. <laughs> so. She thinks it's full of Andorian fight scenes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I enjoy this episode myself, even though I pointed out certain things about it today that might sound otherwise. It's sort of a middle of the road TOS episode for me. What I what I love about TOS and well, I, I grew up with TOS, you know, before TNG was ever around. So it is that series that's nostalgic for me. It's what got me into Star Trek. One thing that I love about it is that it does have these deeper messages in it, like what's the nature of reality and do we are things real because we believe they're real when maybe they're not, while at the same time, production on a shoestring budget, you know, there's there's a lot of cheesiness and a lot of corniness in the original series, which if you hold it to the same production standard as later series, maybe that seems like a problem, but actually... For me, that's a lot of the charm of the original series. It's what I, I love about it. So the fact that they do have what's obviously a soundstage and it's obviously lights, you know, shining on a backdrop and it's just one wall of a building here. And even the way that all of the actors who play the Earps and, and, you know, play, well, not the sheriff, but Doc Holliday, you know, come in, the way they portray those roles is something that I, I might look at and say, you know, it's really bad acting, but actually it works for this story and, and it makes, it gives it that TOS feel that, that I love. So, so I'm sort of kind of in between where all you guys are on this as well. Uh, I like the episode. W one thing to point out is that like, I find the guy, Morgan Earp, who's the guy who shoots Chekhov in the episode, his demeanor and all as he's walking, it's kind of weird. It's kind of creepy. Do you know what other role he played that was also weird and creepy in Star Trek? He is John, the weird guy in the desert at the beginning of Star Trek V. With what? the gun. Really? Yes. Same actor. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. It's Rex Holman. And he played that role at the beginning. A Vulcan. A Vulcan, <laughs> yes. So when you make that connection, I don't know, that seems to be a real talent he has for awkward movements and facial expressions. But How anyway. funny is that? <laughs> wow. So I'm going to give this episode a half gallon of bourbon. 
(laughs) really happy all right well thanks for joining us today guys before we go mariel tell everyone where they can find you around what we're doing on the network and around the interwebs uh you can find me on twitter a florida girl all separated by underscores and you can also find me writing most of the news for trek fm absolutely and landrew where can people find you they can find me on twitter at 005 d-o-u-b-l-e-o-f-i-v-e and they can find me on standard orbit every week where mike and i talk about tos sometimes with people who were involved in star trekky things which is always fun i'm also uh gonna be uh, we just recorded today an upcoming episode of Commentary Frack Stars <laughs> with uh, with Mike, a uh, uh, show that they're doing with Colin on Battlestar Galactica. I came up with the names, so they figured that I should be in some of the episodes. So, hey, um, Drew, listen, I just I want to. I don't know if anybody has. I mean, you can talk to you know to Mike about it, but I, I want to claim. I want to lay claim on commentary Brack Stars when they do the uh, the Space Ghost uh, podcast. Okay. So just okay. so you know, yeah. All right. I just want to lay claim on that. So stay tuned for that. And also stay tuned for Mike and Drew's new world wrestling entertainment show commentary, Smack Stars. <laughs> Stop. Now, he's gonna do, now we're going to do a sports <laughs> podcast. Wow. <laughs> All right. All right. So thanks again for joining us today, guys. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. You know, Chris, it's been great talking to Mariel and Drew about TOS. I don't get to talk enough about the other Star Trek shows. And I absolutely love hearing other people's perspectives about Star Trek on the whole. And, and you mentioned, you know, you mentioned a fistful of datas, but I kind of feel like this is the, the original Star Trek Western. It is the original Star Trek Western. I'm like you. I don't get to talk about TOS very much either as far as the TV series goes. When I talk about TOS, it's usually about books or comics on literary tricks. So it's, it's always fun to go back and visit these episodes that I used to long ago own on VHS tape, purchased for $15 a pop at the bookstore in the mall back when I was in high school. And uh, it's great to go back and revisit them now. Inspector of the Gun, as I mentioned during the discussion, I had not seen in quite a long time. So it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad Mariel and Drew could join us as well. But, you know, the Wild Wild West isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Montgomery Scott is really just their to tell a story that they couldn't tell with Kirk or Spock or McCoy. This is true. An episode where Kirk is framed for the murder of a hooker would be... Right. Awesome. Completely different. It would be awesome, but... (laughs) Earl Grey. Ships of TNG Part 2. Commander Riker, why would you protect the inferior (laughs) ship? I want its treasure. I want the other ship. Darren, how long have you been keeping that one in your pocket? You yeah, did not I like tell that. us. That was good. Do a Ferengi. <laughs> the Ready Room. Scientific method. She tells the the the, guy, the woman that comes on the bridge, and she's like, 
well, it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to drive into these stars. It's going to be great. Like, it's like, <laughs> I'm just like. The orb. Till death do us part. His are, are, are very quizzical in nature. They, they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who who is willing to accept, okay, where what is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, tell me what to do right now. You know, like, she, right. she, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey! One versus doctor's orders. I was working full-time on top of being a full-time student, and I... Listen, I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses, okay? I don't want to hear them. <laughs> like, life was happening, and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Undeveloped Enterprise Stories. But the idea here is that Porthos would become intelligent and would be the only member of the crew capable of communicating with a canine alien. So even Hoshi apparently couldn't figure out this dog language. Commentary, Trek stars. I'd love love to see an X-Files one shot with Scully and, and the hookers. With you know? Scully and the Hookers? Yeah. That's a great name for a band. Call it Scully and the Hookers. <laughs> Melodic Treks. Five musical favorites. You know, I don't completely hate the opening theme. I, I just really think that Archer's theme should be the opening credits. Continuing mission. Star Trek Axelar with Alec Peters. That's what we posit. We say it makes sense that at this point, we know it's from from TOS. They're not integrated, so our crews are not integrated. And, and we make a point of that. We don't avoid it. We make a point of it. And in Prelude to Axanar, they talk about that. Literary Treks. IDW Alien Spotlight, Part 1. Well, Chris, it's okay, because they can see the Romulans from their house. That's right. So... From space, you know, you betcha. You know what? That's okay. I can see the Romulans from my uh, from my starship. It's gonna be fine. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from the website. And if you're over in iTunes. Be sure to visit our new artist page and section inside the iTunes store. As we mentioned last week in news, we were extended an invitation by Apple for this new section, and it's given us a great ability to highlight our shows and past episodes, create special groupings for you. We have lots of category pages as well. And it's hard to believe, Daniel, but we are getting very close to a thousand episodes of our podcasts here on the network. So there is a ton of stuff out there that you've probably never heard before. And through this new section in iTunes, we are going to be highlighting different shows for you. So go check it out. And the best way to get there is simply to go to iTunes.com slash Trekafilm. And that will take you right there inside your iTunes app. And also while you're on iTunes, if you like the show, take a moment and leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you. And also it helps other listeners find the show as they're searching for Star Trek podcasts in iTunes and trying to find out, you know, where they can get their Star Trek news as well as their discussion. So again, take a moment and let us know what you think about the show and leave us a star rating. And not only for the ready room, but for, you know, all of our shows that you listen to as well. If you'd like to send us your feedback on the show today or anything about Star Trek, 
You can do that by going to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the show and about Star Trek. Lots of categories for you over there as well. And if social media is your thing, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekfm. Now, Daniel, when you're not, uh, you know, watching the makeout scenes with Chekhov and timing just how long it takes for him to uh, warm up to that lady, where can people find you? Of course, they can find me on the network uh, at Earl Grey, where we're always talking about TNG stuff. So uh, you can join me and my co-hosts, Darren and Philip, uh, to talk about A Fistful of Datas or whatever we're talking about that week. So, uh, And you can also find me occasionally here on The Ready Room as well. And uh, finally on Twitter. Um, I'm at username 1updan, and that is the number one, not the word. And also, Daniel, you did an episode of Warp 5 with me about two weeks ago. We talked about the NX program. So if you want to hear it was? all about Daniel's love for starships, go check that episode of Warp 5 out as well. Absolutely. Well, if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, you can find me with Matthew Rushing on Literary Treks, where, as I mentioned a moment ago, we talk Star Trek books and comics, but we also interview authors. We actually do bring you those book extras that I said they should have on the Imzadi novel, where we actually find out directly from the author the process of writing the books and uh, the ideas that they had that didn't make it into the novel. That's always interesting. Matthew and I also do the Orb together where we talk about Deep Space Nine every week. And as I just mentioned, Warp 5 is a show I do that's all about Enterprise. I also have an interview show called Matterstream about science and social issues and creative things that are inspired by Star Trek or loosely related to Star Trek. And then I have my new show, Continuing Mission, which is all about fan series and independent productions. So go check that out if you want to know what's going on beyond the five live-action series and, of course, the animated series that we have for things like Star Trek Continues, Renegades, Axanar, other things coming up. Lots of interesting discussions with the creators of those over there as well. Before we let you go, I'd like to tell you once again about our sponsor, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks. Go pick up Imzadi by Peter David. Find out what's going on with Riker and Troy in that book, or pick any other book you'd like to read as well, because as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. The way you do that is by going to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up and choose a book. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that audiobook. That's yours. But by supporting Audible, you'll be helping us keep the ready room coming to you every week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. One more thing you can do to help us keep the ready room coming is to make a donation to the network. Our shows are free for you to download, but they're not free for us to produce or distribute. And your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to get not only the show, but all of our other shows out to you every week. And I'd like to give a shout out to listener Greg Mollenby, 
who made a generous contribution to the network. We really appreciate your support, Greg. And for everyone else, if you'd like to join Greg in helping us make our shows, you can do that by going to trek.fm slash donate. We have different contribution levels for you to choose from, as well as original alien artwork for you. So go see what's right for you. Make a donation. Again, trek.fm slash donate. We really, really appreciate your support in helping us keep everything going. All right, Daniel. Well, I'm going to wander back down and see if Sylvia is free for that dance now that Chekhov is back on the bridge. Because when she wasn't making out with Chekhov, I think I caught her giving me the eye. All right, Chris. Well, it's time to stick a six-shooter in it because this ready room is done. (laughs) 